Good morning, church. Afternoon. Afternoon, church. Good whatever, church. Amen. It's good to be here with everybody. Um, I'm glad to be here. I want to share not only the gospel with my life as well. Today, is a, there's only been four days like today in the last 16 years because the Redskins have a playoff game today. I'm, I'm repping my Redskins with my Redskins socks. Shameless audacity. Reggie threatened that the Steelers would beat us in the Super Bowl if we ever made it. He was like, I'll root for the Redskins unless they get to the Super Bowl and then we beat the tar out of them. And I'm like, Reggie, you can't, you can't say that about the Redskins. We, we have nothing going for us. <laughs> like nothing. You can't do that. <laughs> Amen. Well, today's a great day. A lot of the campus is starting to trickle back because school starts tomorrow. I'm excited about the campus being back. A lot of us this past, uh, actually yesterday we had a Bible talk leaders retreat in Richmond, and that, that was awesome, and every Bible talk was equipped with a big box, a toolbox that had a bunch of great stuff in it, ask your Bible talk leader, but all of our Bible talks now have yard signs, oh yeah, not, all, not just one, but two, one with an arrow that will point you on your way and one to show where your Bible talk's actually happening. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. 2016, get excited, we've got yard signs. <laughs> yeah, but it was awesome to uh, be able to just be with so many Bible talk leaders from around the state. God is really working in every corner of Virginia and the kingdom. And it's just being really, really cool to see how God is moving and raising up new leaders. A lot of campus, saw a lot of new faces in the campus Bible talk leaders class. And the kingdom is moving. The kingdom is growing. Amen. Well, in, uh, in 2016, so far, what we've done is taken our first few Sundays and Wednesdays together to talk about who we are in Christ. And we're going to continue that. It's a, you can go over and turn over to Ephesians 1. We're still going to be there. We are at a snail's pace in here. We'll finish Ephesians 1 sometime in October. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Probably before the end of January. But this idea of who we are in Christ really changes everything about the way we live. We talked a lot about it at the, the Bible Talk Leaders Retreat that we are embraced by God and His grace first. And then we obey as a response to that embrace. But so often we can go the other way and say, let me obey and hope that God embraces me. And that kind of gets weird. We get guilted out and ultimately we stop trying to get God to embrace us because we feel like we can never do enough. When the truth is we've already been embraced. And so far this year we've seen how God has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly realms. Now we have everything that we need. This past Wednesday, we talked about how we are chosen, how God desires you. He chose you and wants to be with you and wants you to be with him. And today, we're going to talk about the next part of Ephesians 1, which is, I am adopted. I am adopted. And maybe you're sitting here, what kind of lesson is going on? What are we going to do today? Well, we'll take a look in 
Part of it is that our idea of what adoption is is informed by a 21st century Western mentality. And the word that's being used there is a little different. We're going to dive right into that. But this is actually really exciting about the way that God has not just chosen you, but the lengths that he's willing to go to include you into his family is incredible. So let's just go dive right into scripture. You guys with me? Cool. Let's go to Ephesians 1. You guys are already there. In verse 5, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, daughters, children, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's the ESV, just in case you're reading out of the NIV or something else. But God predestined us to be his children. That he wanted us to be adopted into his family. And they sit there and go, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. But as you dive a little bit further into the book of Ephesians, this idea of us being children of God gets expanded a little bit. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, just like turn a page or something, go with me there. In verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, and at the heart of this book there is a, a controversy that is brewing deep within Christianity, which is how Jewish do you need to be in order to be a Christian? For us, we're like, that's a no-brainer. You don't. But back then... That was a big deal. The Jewish people were still wrestling with the idea that they were the chosen people. And if you really wanted to please God, you had to live like a Jewish person. Because God had, in fact, go read the Old Testament, he chose Israel. And he gave them the law. And they were God's people. So now to say that all these Gentiles, Gentile just means anybody that's not Jewish, that wasn't listening to the law, the Old Testament law, that wasn't listening or living like a Jewish person was somehow part of God's people. It was the most foreign thing to them. There's no way that was possible. And yet here is the mystery that God is bringing about, that God is actually including non-Jewish people, all Gentiles, into his family. So let's pick back up here again, just to give you a little background there. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth or citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, were, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made, a, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that wall that separated Jews and Gentiles, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, and so making peace. And that might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace 
to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is what God is trying to do through adoption. That this goes so much deeper. That something that we can't quite grasp. That there was at one point in time where anybody here, if you weren't Jewish, you were on the outside looking in. That Jewish people and the people of God would look at you and say, we can't even eat with you. You are on the outside. This is how far you can come close to God. Can you imagine that? You get on your knees to pray and someone tells you there is only so close that your prayers can get. Just by how you were born. And so what God is trying to do, the mystery of what God is trying to do here is trying to say, no, that's not how it's going to work anymore. I'm adopting all people into my family. But the truth is a lot of us don't feel like that. Sometimes we, we're like, no, 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 it's always been okay like this. Here's what Paul's actually saying in Ephesians 2 verse 12. We have to remember this. We have to remember, and he is talking to Gentiles, so anybody here that's not Jewish, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth or citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We can remember that. A lot of us can remember having no hope and being without God. Some of us didn't want to admit that. Maybe some of us feel like that right now. We'll get into that a little bit. But what God is trying to do is bring everyone close back to him. But part of why we don't really understand this as well, we don't understand because when we think of adoption, we think of people going to an orphanage and bringing someone home. Maybe I have two Chinese adopted cousins whom I love very, very much. I remember when my aunt and uncle brought them back from China. I remember, oh, it's, it was so cool to be able to have, you know, have part of their family. They weren't able to have children, so they were able to adopt and bring these two, um, two little baby girls uh, back from China. And, oh, so amazing, so cool. We were able to give and, and help them. It's kind of like a service done to orphans who didn't have a home. That's 21st century adoption. Let's go and take a look at first century adoption, which is very, very different. Let me introduce you to, this is, I'm going to call this the general Roman father. There is something in Roman law called patria potestas. Yeah, you're excited about that Jeopardy answer. What it means, it means the rule of the father. If you think that you've had it bad with your father or your, your parents, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about anybody's family in here. I don't know where we come from or whatever. Here is what the Roman father legally had right to. The Roman father had absolute authority over everyone in their family to the point where no one in the family except the father could own property. If the wife 
if another, if a younger man who had property was in his house and under his authority, it was the dads. It was the father. This is how far patria potestas went. The father could enact capital punishment on members of his family and not have to account to anyone for it. If the dad decided that you did something worthy of death, he could kill you and there would be no one that would say anything. It was his right. Absolute authority. You did whatever he said to the point where sons and daughters, children, legitimate children, were more viewed as slaves than they were viewed as children because they were under patria potestas. But sometimes Roman nobles, patricians, if you study, if you remember your Roman history, patricians, they didn't have male heirs. They didn't have, because you could only pass your family property and your authority onto male heirs. Sorry, ladies, that's just kind of the way it was. Blame it on ancient Rome. It's different now. I don't know if you've seen. But what would happen is that they would say, oh, no, I don't have any male heirs. So in order to preserve the family line, what they would do is they would go and adopt. Now, there are two different types of being able to bring people into your family. One is adoption or adoptio, which I will talk about a little bit. The other is called aggregation. That one is where you wanted to be part of someone's family and you said, please take me in. That one's like, please, I need help. I need, that's actually closer to what we think of adoption right now. Adoption back then was only for selfish reasons. It was to keep your family line going. And so what happened is a Roman noble who had no children, who was advancing in years, would say, okay, um, maybe there's a slave in his household. Or maybe there's a slave in someone else's household that he's kind of taking a liking to. Hey, that guy's strong or he's good looking or he seems to get things done or whatever it is. And he goes to the owner of the slave. And what happens is this very complicated legal ceremony. And what happened was the owner of the slave would go to the father and the father would buy the slave once. And that was called, don't worry about it, you don't need to know about it. Anyway, so he buys the slave, <laughs> buys the slave, and then the father gives him back to the owner. He says, I free you, go back to your owner. Then the father buys the slave again, a second time. And then frees the slave again. And he goes back to the father. Or sorry, back to his owner. Then the father for the third time buys the slave. And only on that third time is that slave now adopted into the family. Now the reason that that's a big deal is because once he is sold for the third time, brought into the family and legally adopted, it meant that his status was no longer a slave, but now completely and fully the heir of this noble. His history of being a slave was completely erased, never to be thought of again. And now the only thing that you are, you are under patria potestas in order to receive your own rule later. You literally go from slave to noble Lord heir, and you will become an heir yourself within a few years in a matter of moments.
zero to hero in no time flat. That's quoting Hercules, just in case you didn't catch that. That's what it meant to be adopted, to go from a slave with no hope, no advancement, you are stuck in your slavery, to becoming a noble. And the rest of your life is altered forever. You will now be a noble yourself, enacting justice upon this person's family. You will own all his property. In this case, it'd be like getting adopted by like, I don't know, like one of the Hiltons. And you come and you just inherit all the Hilton hotels. Or Bill Gates adopts you and you inherit Microsoft when you know nothing about computers. You're like, I can barely use solitaire. Well, now you own Microsoft. That was adoption. Didn't matter what you did before, didn't matter who you were before, you are now part of this family forever. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? That's the rich background. So when they hear you've been adopted, that's what goes to the Ephesian minds. Not you were hanging out in an orphanage and somebody who's you know, trying to come in and like does you a service says, I want you to represent my family after I die. I want you to handle my affairs after I'm gone. I want you to be my representative. Boom. That's huge. But that's not how we usually read this passage. And that's not how we think of our lives in Christ. Why should I be excited about being adopted by God? Well, this is kind of my main question, my main point around this idea. Is that because you are in God's family. You have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. That before this, you had no access to God. You were enslaved by your sin. Everything until Jesus' death told you that you were unclean and unworthy of God. You grew up back then. You grew up eating unclean foods. You grew up worshiping false gods. You grew up maybe being part of cultic rituals that would sacrifice people. And the gods that you worshipped tormented people. Go back and take a look at Roman and Greek gods. They tormented people just because they felt like it. The gods you worshipped were worse than people. And all of a sudden, that whole life, now you're part of God's family. It was really cool. I was able to uh, spend this past week looking after the Booker kids. Phil and Ayanna Booker, who are pastors, uh, you know, ministers here, evangelists and women's ministry leader. And it's so cool because we get to spend time. I've known these kids since they were, well, Olivia and Ashton since they were born. Little Phil since he was like one. And it's so funny to watch them kind of grow up. They're like, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, around there. <laughs> They're not my kids, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I'm working. I got years for that to learn those things. But it's so crazy to watch when you're part of a family, the power that that has. I was talking to little Ashton, and Ashton, it's not really little. He's big. <laughs> I was watching him play basketball. This kid's like eight years old, nine years old. He looks like he could eat the other eight, year, eight nine-year-olds. <laughs> he's playing basketball with. I'm like, watch out. 
But he was talking, he comes home and he was talking about how some of the guys he plays basketball with, they cuss on the basketball court. And he was telling me about it and I'm like, but you don't do that, right? And he's like, no, I, I don't do that. And I'm like, right. I'm like, what? So do you ever, you ever want to, like just talking to you? Like, well, no, but, but I'm a booker and bookers don't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, Good enough for me. <laughs> when you're part of a family, you're just like, I just know that that's what bookers do and bookers don't do that. Whoa. That's the same mindset we got. We are part of God's family. God's family doesn't do that. I'm a Christian. Christians don't do that. It's amazing what happens. And there was such a security that Ashton had. He's just like, I don't care. I'm like the only guy that's not cursing out there. I'm the only guy that's, that's kind of like that, but I'm a booker and it's okay because we don't do that. A security, a confidence to go against everything. Wow. Absolutely amazing. That's what we're part of. Why should you be excited? Because you get a confidence like that. You're part of God's family. You belong here and you stand for something. There's stuff that we do. There's stuff that we don't do. We all have different... Things that, you know, we all have pasts, right? And the amazing thing about our pasts is that when we become Christians, our pasts are erased. It's gone. The immoral past, it's erased. Completely gone. Nothing else is remembered. There's not even remnants that it existed. If you were adopted into a noble's house, there is nothing that remained. There is no disqualification or handicap. Nothing remained. And that's the same with us. When we think about our past, we all need a little bit of erasing. We all have different things that we want erased. But maybe it's something that you did in your past. Maybe it's somebody that you hurt. Maybe it's a family member that you hurt. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a lifestyle that you lived. That you look back on now and you say, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I doing? Decisions that you made that you regret. In this room, there's probably a whole bunch of those things. That if we were to write down a list of all the things that we regret, that we wish never had happened, things that we just wish we could throw away, it probably stretch from here and out the door. There are things in our lives that we say to ourselves, I hope no one sees that side of me ever again. It's the stuff that keeps you up at night. The stuff that you relive as you're trying to go to sleep. Maybe you have regrets of things that you didn't do. Maybe someone you had the chance to help, but you said, no, I won't because of selfish reasons. Maybe you regret things like you didn't go to college, you didn't finish school, you didn't end that destructive relationship, you didn't get your act together, you didn't show up to your job on time, you didn't pay that bill. Maybe some of us just want our backgrounds erased. 
Some of us have family lives that we're not really fond of talking about. Some of us come from family backgrounds where there's been abuse, emotional, physical. Some of us come from families where there's been swindling, where people have cheated us out of money, family, cheated us out of money, taken advantage of us. There's been hurt in our families. There's been rejection in our families. There's been neglect. There's been loneliness and isolation, and all these things can keep us up at night wondering why. Those are things that live in our shadows. And all these things can get us to doubt who we are in Christ. All these things, I can stand up here and you can read encouraging scriptures in Ephesians and Psalms about who you are in Christ, but these things are the things that make you read these things, these blessings, and you just go, yeah, but what about this? How is that possible? And then when it comes to our confidence, we doubt what God can use us to do because of our backgrounds, because of what we've done. That little splinter in your mind that tells you, not really. God could use someone else to do that, but not someone with your baggage. Or tells you, you can't do something great until you deal with that baggage. When the truth is, if you've been adopted by Christ, it's all been erased. That you've been adopted. That no one cares anymore about your past. That's not holding you back at all. You're no longer affected by any of that. Now, you're part of God's household. And you are meant to rule in God's house. That you literally have the same respect of God that Jesus has. That's what's been done for you. We don't often think like that. We think that somehow we are still handicapped and disqualified when nothing could be further from the truth. With one exception, and I've been doing this with every single thing, there is an exception to this. This is for people that have studied the Bible, that have repented of their sins and gotten baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what happens to your past and your sin and your life if that's what's happened. But if you haven't studied the Bible, your past is chiseled in stone. It's not erased. It is firm. It is solid. And sadly, if that's not where you're at right now, repented, baptized, you don't have hope right now. Your past is chiseled in stone. And that's why I beg everybody here, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Because every single one of us had our past chiseled in stone until somebody studied the Bible with us. Yeah. Yeah. We were a flat mess, trying to hold our lives together with our hands and just wasn't working. Someone studied the Bible with us, showed us God's grace, showed us what repentance was like, and we had our past erased. Don't wait one more minute with your past chiseled into your life because you can be adopted by God. But what do I do if I am adopted? Well, you know, it's funny. 
if, uh, if you're a guest in somebody's house, you come on over, they're like making you food, they'll like make your bed, they'll clean up after you. But if you're part of the family, you got chores. You got stuff to do. Come on home, oh, it's so good to see you, welcome home, take out the trash. Mom. If you're adopted in the family, you got responsibilities. Also in Ephesians, go over to Ephesians 5. You guys still with me here? I haven't lost you yet. Ephesians 5, verse 8, it says, For once you would, uh, sorry, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Our job now is to live as children of God and children of the light. We have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We expose them and we live in a way that's good, righteous, and truthful. So our job is to bring light into the world. That's what we're meant to do. Go back just a second. We're supposed to end the darkness in us and end the darkness in our world. We don't bask in our adoption. We spread it. We help more and more people become adopted into Christ. But we don't abuse our position. If we just say, hey, I'm content, man, I'm great. I've been adopted. Everything's good. God desires me. He chose me. I'm an heir now. If you do that, you're like the kid that inherits the family business but doesn't know the first thing about it and drives it into the ground. That's why we're supposed to bring light into our world. I've got a practical for everybody, just a little exercise for, for your time with God this week. I want to encourage you to spend a little time to write down on a piece of paper the things that you're ashamed of. The things that still have power in your life. Those things that you wish never happened. Those things that you still regret. Those things that kind of still get you sad a little bit. You know what I'm talking about, those things? Write them down. Look at them for a little bit. And then go back and read this passage, Ephesians 1. And I want you to take a big, fat, pink eraser and just erase the snot out of it. And then write in big letters this passage or something like that. Write down child of God. Write down adopted by God, co-heirs with Christ. And then know that you have the same rights and inheritance as Jesus in the eyes of God. And you're going to feel a little different. With your regrets stripped of their power, you're going to go out into your job and you're going to be like, everyone needs to be liberated like this. You're going to go into your chemistry classes and your English classes 
your engineering classes. And you're going to be like, every single person here either needs to be saved and had their regrets erased or needs to be saved from regrets that they will have. If you look around your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, there are people living in every single house, going to bed at night, still with their regrets and their past with their claws in their backs as they sleep. They need to be adopted into Jesus' family. We have to be the ones to bring light into the world. I want to end just with this little, little story about a woman. She wrote about herself. She, uh, her parents died when she was very little. And she was writing later. She said, when I was a tiny little girl, my parents died, and I was put into an orphanage. I wasn't pretty at all, and no one seemed to want me. But I longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I could remember. And I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please people who came to look at me, and all I did was drive them away. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take, take me home with them. I was so excited, and I jumped up and down and cried like a baby. And the matron, the lady who runs the orphanage, reminded her that this was just a trial, and it might not be a permanent relationship, not a permanent arrangement. But I just knew that it would work out somehow. So I went with the family and started to go to school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine, and life began to open up for me just a little bit. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home. I came home from school, I walked into the front door of the big old house that we lived in, and no one was home, but in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what that meant. But I didn't belong there anymore. I was being returned. This happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. And this is what happens to us. We hope to be adopted by something in the world, whether it's our family, a relationship, a job, our education, our friends. We hope to be protected, loved, cared for, accepted, adopted, and ultimately were rejected. Spit back out and said, you don't belong here. But the woman's story doesn't end there, just as ours doesn't end there. She says, don't feel too badly. It was experiences like those that ultimately brought me to God. And there, and only there, did I find what I had always looked for, a place, a sense of belonging, a forever family that could never be taken away. That's what we are adopted into. We are adopted, chosen, out of the world, to be without regret, to live as children of the light, and say, no matter what, you belong here because you are adopted. Amen.